Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is coming. Our text for our sermon is recorded in Revelation chapter 1 verses 4 through 6 and 9 through 20. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is coming and from the seven spirits that are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his own blood and made us a kingdom and priest to God, his father. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingship and patient endurance in Jesus was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony about Jesus. I was in spirit on the Lord's day and I heard a loud voice behind me like a trumpet saying, write what you see on a scroll and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea. I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. When I turned, I saw seven gold lampstands and among the lampstands was one like a son of man. He was clothed with a robe and reached to his feet and around his chest he wore a gold sash. His head and hair were white, like white wool or like snow. His eyes were like blazing flames. His feet were like a polished bronze being refined in a furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters. He held seven stars in his right hand. A sharp two-edged sword was coming out of his mouth, and his face was shining as the sun shines in all its brightness. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, the living one. I was dead and see, I am alive forever and ever. I also hold the keys of death and hell. So write what you have seen, both those things that are and those things that will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand and the seven gold lampstands are this. The seven stars are the messengers of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This is the word of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, John gets to see a glimpse before the heavenly throne. And in verse 12, uh, the second half, he says, And after turning around, I saw seven lampstands made of gold. Seven lampstands. The Greek language emphasizes gold, so it's emphasizing these seven lampstands are precious. And then if we look at verse 18, and by the way, you probably already noticed from here on out, I'm preaching on my own translation to bring out some of the Greek language that makes for clunky English translation. In verse 18, the, the person, it's clearly it's God that has called him to come before the heavenly throne. But which member of the Trinity is it? We're told in verse 18, And the one who keeps on living and became dead and pay very close attention, I continue being alive forever and ever. Only one member of the Godhood died. God cannot die. Only one took on human flesh to be able to suffer death for us and came back alive, obviously. This is Jesus Christ. Well, as we look at this strange vision today, we are going to ask the question, why is Jesus Christ among the seven gold lampstands? Now, to answer that question, we want to take a look at uh, part of our gospel history for the day. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 25, we are told, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. In fact, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
Jesus makes it clear that when you become a sheep in his flock, you are going to bear a cross. Now, the cross is, is an affliction that comes upon you for faith. So if you stub your toe and think that's the cross, if it doesn't impact your faith, if your faith was removed and you would still stub your toe, that is not the cross. The cross is especially persecution and hatred because you are Christ's child. Now, all of the apostles, except for John, will uh, die martyrs' deaths. They knew that Jesus had become a man. They knew he had lived and was perfectly righteous in your place. They knew he took the punishment for your and my sins on the cross. They knew his blood washes our sins away. They knew he had risen and they knew, every one of them, that they had seen the resurrected Lord. And so whether it was coming from, uh, from brother Jewish people or whether it was coming from the Roman government, every one of them except the Apostle John would suffer death rather than deny that Jesus was their Savior and they had seen him in his resurrection. John has outlived them all. John is 90 years old, but he too knows what it's like to bear the cross. He says in verse 9 of our text, I, John, your brother and joint partaker in the affliction and in the kingdom and in the endurance that are only in Jesus, I myself came to be on the island of Patmos on account of the word and God's testimony of Jesus. Now, notice how positive he is. You and I are members of God's kingdom. You and I have an endurance that only comes in Jesus, and we need that when we're being persecuted. But he says he's a joint partaker in the affliction. And he even tells us it's on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. The Roman government had a problem with John's preaching. John, the apostle of love, read his epistles, read how he talks about God's love. He also talks about staying true to the word of God and not tolerating falsehood. But John, the apostle of love, John, who knew what Jesus had taught, we don't rebel against our government. John's government, the Roman government, felt this man who was in his 90s was preaching something so dangerous that while they didn't feel like they needed to put him to death, they needed to exile him. And one of their favorite islands for exile was Patmos. Now, John's going to outlive his exile even. He's going to make it to a pretty old age. But Patmos was a small rocky, it still is, a small rocky island. It's approximately 10 miles long and 5 miles wide. Hence, it's a little less than 50 square miles. It's 60 miles southwest of Ephesus. So John is being persecuted by the Roman government. In his 90s, he's exiled. And if he climbs the highest point of Patmos and looks out on the conditions, if they're right at night, there's a chance that he can see the lights of Ephesus. A church as an apostle, he's even served. And that sea separates him. So throughout this revelation that is given to John, the sea is a picture of separation. Persecution. John is exiled because of persecution. Separation. The sea actually in Revelation becomes a sign of persecution that comes from outside what we would call the visible church. And there are times in Revelation when he talks about the land, that's persecution that comes from within the visible church. So, for example, the Inquisition. So persecution and separation, the sea, they're all common themes in this revelation. John himself is being persecuted. 
But what about those seven churches? 30 years earlier, the Apostle Peter writes to the churches of, of, of the Roman province of Asia. And we're told in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 13, Dear friends, do not be surprised by the fiery trial that is happening among you to test you, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, rejoice whenever you are sharing in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted in connection with the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and God rests on you. So John is called to this revelation that he is to write down for these churches and, of course, for the continuing Christian church. John is bearing the cross and is writing to churches that have borne, are bearing, and will be bearing the Christian cross. The whole point of the book of Revelation is because of persecution. Persecution among those who trust in Jesus. That's the point. It's meant to be comforting. And speaking of comfort, what happens? In verse 17, John says, And when I saw him, I fell to his feet as if I were a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me and said, Stop being afraid. I myself am the first and the last. The right hand throughout Scripture is the picture of ruling, of power, of strength. The right hand that we're going to get into this that held those seven messengers in its hand. That hand reaches down to a man who recognizes he is before the resurrected and righteous God. Jesus is shining in, in all of his godly glory and it's terrifying. So that hand reaches down and touches him gently. Now, parents sometimes can get frustrated when kids keep thinking they see the boogeyman does not exist, kids. When they keep thinking they're seeing the boogeyman and crying out, Mommy or Daddy, and finally the parent gets frustrated and says, Stop being afraid. That's not what Jesus is doing. To stand before God and see all of his righteousness and holiness is terrifying if you're a sinner. Even somebody as amazing as the faith that was, that was given to the Apostle John. So when he says stop being afraid, his word actually empowers him to stop being afraid. And he continues in verse 18 after he says, I myself am the first and the last, he says, and the one who keeps on living. And I became dead. And pay very close attention. I continue being alive forever and ever, and I keep on holding the keys of death and Hades. Now, in the Greek mythology, Hades was the realm of the dead. New Testament Greek took that word and made it mean, you are in the realm of the living right now. But whether it's heaven or hell, the place your soul goes until Christ returns and gives you a glorified body, or if you were an unbeliever, the place your soul goes until Christ returns and gives you your rotten body back to burn in hell forever. So it's the realm of the dead. But there is comfort here. John is terrified and he says, don't be afraid. I, I am God. I have, I have the keys to death and Hades. You're not going to die today, John. But remember, this is especially for those seven churches that are enduring persecution themselves. If it's God's will that they die in persecution, he will use that key and take them to heaven. But if it's his will that they will live... They're going to live. Nobody can take their life. He has those keys. He decides when you die and he decides where you go. And of course, the wonderful comfort for believers is those who know Jesus Christ as true God who became true man and hence their savior, they're going to heaven. 
So because this is the Lord in his state of exaltation, he's not hiding his godhood anymore, the God man. He says because of all what was said in verse 17 and 18 and verse 19, he says, consequently, because he is the exalted Lord, you are to write these things you've seen and the things that are and the things that are about to happen after these things. And then he explains in verse 20, the Greek word used here is mystery, but it doesn't mean the same in English. There are a lot of cults that say there's a mystery, and if you know the secret handshake and give them a right money, they'll give you the knowledge. When God calls something a mystery, it means he's hidden it, and the only way we can find out is if he himself reveals it to us. So the otherwise unknowable meaning of the prior mentioned seven stars that you saw upon my hand, and the prior mentioned seven lampstands, and again, the Greek emphasizes the Greek language, specifically the ones made of gold, so these are very precious and valuable, he says, is... The seven stars are the angels for the prior mentioned congregations. Wow, a lot is said here. The word for congregations is that Greek word ecclesia. It means called out. They've been called out of this world of slavery to sin, death, and the devil. To be an assembly, to be God's flock. Members of his invisible church. The bride of Christ. And that word, he says, the seven stars are angels. The Greek word is angelos, which is where we get our word angel. But that doesn't necessarily mean spiritual beings. It can mean messengers. Now, if it's angels, he's saying, write this letter so they know to encourage this message among those seven churches. But I think here it's talking about humans. I think it's talking about messengers because... Why would John write letters to angelic beings who are before the throne of God? They would already have this knowledge from God as a whole. So if it is messengers, which is more than likely the case, who would these messengers be? In each one of these cities, they didn't have one big church and one big church building like we have. They had a bunch of little local congregations that met at people's homes, basically. And there were people who taught the word of God. And probably here the messengers would be in the entire city the one man who was seen as the one who uh, was the authority in the word of God. Now, whoever has the word of God correct has the authority. But this was somebody that, that was primarily leading all these little local home congregations and stuff in the word. Hence, they would be messengers, right? Jesus has sent them to lead these congregations. And he continues after telling us that the seven stars are those, the guy who primarily is, is the lead example, the overseer with the word. He says, and the lamp stands, and here it emphasizes the seven, specifically the seven are congregations. Once again, that word for called out. So seven is a number that we see lots of times in scripture, especially in Revelation for God's righteousness for perfection. Remember, God rested on the seventh day. Adam and Eve had not fallen into sin yet. All of creation was perfect. Seven is not only the number for perfection, but it also, when you think about it, God is triune. And when it talks about the world, because we, you know, it, as, as a way of understanding, we often talk about the four corners or the four point of the compass. So the number four in Scripture is often the number of creation. So seven, the Trinity, having a covenant with creation, working for you and I. Again, this is Christ's righteousness. As a side note, the number six when it comes up in Revelation, it's the number that falls short of God's righteousness. It would be work righteousness, false righteousness. But seven here is a perfect number. These seven congregations have been chosen. The book of Revelation is not only for them. They are representative for the entire bride of Christ. It's meant for the whole entire church and 
We find out from non-biblical sources they were seven major stops on a mail route for the Roman Empire in the province of Asia. So John begins this letter letting us know right away to the seven churches to those in Asia. Why is Christ among the golden lampstands? Persecution has been going on among those churches. John is in Patmos because he's persecuted. Persecution is going to continue to happen. And he wants to comfort these churches. So the whole point of the book of Revelation is to comfort the Christian church because the devil and anything he has control over is going to try very hard to snuff out their light. But they are precious to Christ. They are among him and he even holds those who lead the churches in their hands. So the Romans are going to go after the leaders first, right? You hand over the scriptures and you deny your Lord and pray to Caesar in front of your entire congregation. He says, you don't, at the point where you don't have to do that, I hold you in my hands. I have the keys to life. If I choose, if it will be best for my bride, the invisible church, I will let them take your life, but you're going to heaven. If I choose that is not the day, they will not. When you hear fanciful interpretations over the book of Revelation, like locusts, which are just representative of plagues coming, which the world's going to have right up to the end. When you hear fanciful interpretations where people scream, this is about oil in the Middle East. If the people in those seven churches could not look at that and find comfort in it, it's a false interpretation. The whole book of Revelation is meant to comfort the entire invisible Christian church, but first and foremost, those seven churches, that yeah, there's going to be wars, rumors of wars, famines, plagues. The church is going to be persecuted. It's going to look at times like it's going under, but Christ is ruling for her. He's already won the victory. So let's take a look at the one that is ruling for his bride, the invisible church. John says, I came to be in spirit on the Lord's day. He probably does not have a copy of scriptures with him. But on Sunday, the day Jesus rose, John is contemplating on the word, which he would have had memorized. And he says, and I heard behind me a great voice like a trumpet. When Jesus's word goes out, it is great. It cannot be denied. He says, saying, write on a scroll that which you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, and Thyatira, and Sardis, and Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And he says, I turned to see the voice which was speaking with me. And after turning around, I saw seven lampstands made of gold. Verse 13 now. And in the middle of, some, uh, of the lampstands, someone like a son of man. He's like a son of man because he is true man. He's God who became true man. Remember, in a state of exaltation, his deity is shining through. So right away, we see the deity of God is ruling among those lampstands for them. Having clothed himself with a long robe reaching to his feet and having wrapped a belt made of gold around his chest, he is dressed both as a king and as a priest. He's the one who intercedes for us. It's his life and death and his resurrection that gives us eternal life. And he's interceding for us all the time. And as king, he's ruling over all creation for us. And it continues, now his head and hair were gleaming white as snow, gleaming white as wool, gleaming white as snow, and his eyes were flames of fire. Gleaming white, a color of righteousness. All of his godly righteousness is shining through. He's the righteousness. God gleams out with that. John had got to see something like this 60 years earlier when he, his brother James, and the apostle Peter were taken to the mount where Jesus was transfigured before he made his way to Jerusalem where they got to see a glimpse of his godly glory. Now he's really seeing it. 
and eyes like flames of fire, I can't help but to think of a blowtorch. Because a blowtorch will even puncture through metal, right, when it's heated up. Nothing is hidden from Jesus' sight. The one who's ruling over all creation for his bride sees everything. He sees the intentions of our hearts. He sees the intentions of the hearts who hate us and would persecute us. And yeah, he has the ability to pierce right through it and destroy it. And verse 15 says, And his feet were something like fine metal when it's in a kiln that has been made red hot. You got this fine metal feet that uh, you can't help but to think of Psalm 110 where uh, God the Father says to God the Son, sit on your throne until I make your enemies a footstool. Not only is he ruling for his bride, but with his feet he can stomp those who would persecute her. They can only persecute as long as he permits it, as long as he sees good for her. But red hot, what happens when things touch red hot metal? It burns it up. He stomps and burns up those who would persecute her. By the way, the Roman Empire doesn't exist anymore, folks. The Sanhedrin doesn't exist anymore. Those who were persecuting the church at that time have been destroyed. Verse 15 continues, And his voice was as a roar of many waters. Now, I've never been to Niagara Falls, but as I understand it, if you take a boat and stand there, you can hardly hear anything else. The Word of God cannot be overpowered. It cannot be drowned out by the devil and those who would like to persecute those who will not forsake His Word. And then that beautiful picture, and holding in His right hand the seven stars, the overseers, the ones who are making sure that God's Word is taught in its truth and purity, and coming out of His mouth was a sharp two-edged sword. The law and the gospel. The law shows us our sin. The gospel removes our sin and makes us God's children. So that's the word of the Lord. That's Jesus' tongue. And his face was as the sun shining in its power. So the heat of the day when the sun is at its brightest. You look at the sun, you'll go blind, right? Again, this is all his godly glory. So Jesus is among the lampstands to comfort them, to let them know, even with persecution. And the whole book of Revelation is saying, uh, there's going to be wars, famines, plagues, and, and, and persecution. It's going to look like the church is dying, but Christ has already won the victory. It's the Almighty God who's ruling with His power. She will, all, those, all the elect, all those who have been called out will be saved. Relax. He has the keys to death. He has the keys to heaven. So, what about you? Because you are a member of the invisible church, the bride of Christ, which was represented by those seven churches. You are in the right hand of Jesus and you are upon the right hand of Jesus. That same hand that reached down and comforted John, that mouth with that tongue with the two-edged sword comes. Yes, it exposes your sin, but it comforts you. It washes your sin away with the good news of salvation in Christ, the blood of the Lamb. It is ruling and pronouncing things for you to keep you in your faith so that you arrive safely in heaven. That same hand that comforted John is ruling to keep you in his bride, the invisible church. Now, what about Lord of Lords Lutheran Church here in Casper, Wyoming? We have winter days in which it can be very miserable to come and some of you probably should not come on those miserable winter days. It oftentimes seems like our church is lacking the gifts that it needs. Wouldn't it be nice to have this spiritual gift or that spiritual gift? Our church is lacking a lot of gifts, our local congregation. Our church has a lot of hardships, many even caused by my sinful nature and your sinful nature. But you know what? What was said to the seven churches 
is said of Lord of Lords Lutheran Church. God has given her all the gifts she needs. She is standing before the Lord with the flame of faith that he has given her. He won't let her faith be snuffed out as long as he plans for her to exist. And he's ruling for her. Now, you take a look, for example, at the church of Ephesus. As I understand it, Ephesus today, people don't live there. That church is long but gone, and Ephesus is a tourist attraction of ruins. But the bride of Christ still remains. In America today, a country which once used to shine out often because people did know of Jesus Christ, even people who didn't come to church knew Jesus had died and was born. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Today, the Christian church is being attacked in America. America has become foolish about such things that we don't even know what it means that God created them man and woman, right? It seems like the church is going under. I often wonder if I will end up dying in a prison or something because I stand on the word of God. Because of things I preach now, will I be punished for 20 years from now because we post them on the internet? God has Lord of Lords and especially he has you in his hands and he's ruling for you. So, verse 6 had said, And he made us to be a kingdom, specifically priests to his God and Father. You are priests. You are privileged. So long as we are boldly speaking to the world, that two-edged sword, the law, you need a Savior because you're a sinner. And the good news is the blood of the Lamb washes your sin away and saved. It's a privilege for us. So long as we are proclaiming that, so long as we are staying in that word, so we are proclaiming it in its truth and purity. He says, your light is shining bright and it's precious to me. Why is Jesus Christ among the seven golden lampstands? Because no matter how much Satan in this world rage against Christ's bride, he's ruling for her eternal well-being. He's already won the victory. Amen. Now grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forevermore. Amen.